In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, we define and discuss aspects of the hypostatic union. Welcome once again to the Doctrine for Doxology podcast. If you ever have questions or comments, you can email me, doctrine4, that's the number four, doxology at gmail.com. So you can email me there. I'm on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin. And before we get into today's episode, today is the 100th episode of this podcast. Now, of course, used to, it was called Bear Christianity, and then recently I've changed the name to Doctrine for Doxology, and that goes along with a life group class that I teach at church. So uh, anyway, 100 episodes. Uh, This podcast, I began it August or September, right around there, of 2021, and so I just checked right before I started recording, and as of right now, I have 23,017 downloads. So in the podcast world, that is peanuts, okay? That's that's not a ton of downloads, uh, but it, this has just been uh, such a joy to have this podcast going, and, and that's still more than I would have ever imagined as I, as I started this up. Uh, I've told this story just a few times, but God has provided uh, for this podcast. I mean, it, it's a pretty simple setup, but uh, most podcasts, they have to pay monthly uh, in order to host that information. And as I was starting this, I just, you know, God led me to a site that was like a, almost like an upstart and they were allowing for free hosting. And so um, I, as long as I don't ever get paid for anything for this podcast, it I, I get to host this information for free. And so, um, so God's provided in that way. And then I already had most of the equipment. I, I updated uh, my microphone and a stand that just makes things more convenient for me. I got that for Christmas presents one year. But other than that, I had all the recording equipment and my laptop and stuff. So God's just provided for this to happen. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to to do this. So thank you for listening each week for those of you who have been longtime listeners and I uh, take this very seriously and and hopefully this has been a, a joy to kind of learn along with me and and I just I appreciate you and I appreciate the the emails that I get and the encouragement that I get from listeners. One of the things that I keep coming back to as I uh, as I think about this podcast some weeks are tougher than others as far as you know, making sure that you've got an episode ready and and just you know the the deadline each week to record something. But one of the thoughts that I keep coming back to is if something happens to me, my kids now have one hundred episodes of their dad talking about the most important thing I could possibly talk about. And so it, that's that's also an encouragement to me that my kids who are right now young, they're five, seven, and nine, some of these um, complicated topics are a little bit over their heads, but eventually um, they'll be able to listen to this. So that that's just one of the things that, um, that God uses to encourage me to keep this up week to week. So it's your it's your responsibility as listeners if anything ever does happen to me to remind my kids to listen to their to their dad's uh episodes. All right. All right, so that's that's enough uh enough deep talk in that regard before I get uh get all emotional here. So, uh let's let's get into the episode today. 
the uh, let me just kind of introduce what we're going to go over today. I'm going to review some of the material that I covered last week on the Trinity. Then we will talk about the hypostatic union, the doctrine of that. And then I'll also discuss some uh, difficult passages in regards to the Trinity. Think you know verses that you think about, like okay, but you know I, I realize that the Bible teaches the Trinity, but what about this verse? Okay, so we'll we'll talk about some of those. And then of course you can always send in other verses if you if you have questions. So in review, first, let me give you the definition of the Trinity we discussed last week. This is from a great book on the Trinity called The Forgotten Trinity. It's written by James White. So this is his definition. Within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So immediately we have to identify the difference between being and person. Within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons. So being, uh, some synonyms of being would be essence, nature, or substance. So what is the being of God? What is the nature of God? Uh, what is the essence of God? Those are those would all be synonyms of each other. And last week I talked about when you think of being, think of the question, what? So what is God? Okay, that is his being. That is his nature. And so within the one being that is God, there exist three co-equal and co-eternal persons. For person, um, a a synonym for person would be subsistence. So sometimes if you're if you're reading some um, theological textbooks, you may come across that word as well, subsistence. But for person, think of the question who. All right. So for being, think of the question what what is God, um, the, the the being of God, there's only one of those. So there's billions of human beings, but there is only one being of God. And that being is shared by three subsistences or three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm not saying is that the Father is one-third God, the Son is one-third, and the Holy Spirit is one-third. No, they all fully share in the one being of God. And that's where the Trinity gets it gets tough to wrap our, our head around because for a human being, each human being is one person. So I am a human being. What am I? I'm a human being. Who am I? I'm Barrett Martin. And so we have one being for one person. And that's just how we we know things in creation. But God is different. God is outside of creation. And so he is one being in three persons. And so God is more complicated than, than we can wrap our, our heads around. Um, so why would anyone hold to this doctrine of the Trinity, it's because the, the Bible teaches it. And so we, we walked through these three foundations of the Trinity last week, and I gave you, um, you know, Bible verses to defend those positions. So first off, the, the three foundations, number one is monotheism. There is only one God. So Christians are monotheist. We only worship the one true God. There, foundation number two, there are three divine persons. The, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, okay? So there are three divine persons. And foundation number three, these persons are co-equal and co-eternal. 
And so one of the main ways that you can see that in Scripture is that you can take an Old Testament passage that can only be referring to the one true God, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. And that verse is applied to the Son sometimes in the New Testament and sometimes to the Holy Spirit as well. And so that's that's where we arrive at this doctrine of the Trinity, because we're clearly taught that there is only one God in the Bible, but the Father is God. The Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So how do we put all that together? And that's how we have the doctrine of the Trinity. So the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the word Trinity is used to describe what is taught in the Bible. All right, so that's that's kind of a review from last week. One other thing that I want to mention before we get into the hypostatic union is another way to think about the Trinity, you can think of it as as in two different ways, two basic ways. The first is the ontological Trinity. Now, ontologic, ontology, this is relating to the true nature or being of something. So the ontological Trinity is the Trinity as it exists eternally apart from creation. So think of God was a triune God from eternity past. So before ever creating anything, think of uh, the ontological trinity would be the trinity as God exists in in that way, aside from creation, apart from creation. The economic trinity is the trinity in its relation to creation, including the specific roles played by the Trinitarian persons through the history of creation. So these roles are are freely entered into. They are not necessary to the to the being of God. These as as God relates to creation, these roles of Father, Son, and Spirit, the the, the three persons took on these roles in creation freely. They freely chose to take these roles. And so that's the economic trinity. So we have the Father sending the Son, the Son submitting to the will of the Father, the, the Father and the Son sending the Spirit to the believers. And, and so that's, that's the economic trinity. That is the trinity as it relates to creation. All right. So, um, so you, you may come across those, those distinctions, and that, that's important because, yes, we, we have these verses that we come across where, again, like Jesus is submitting to the Father's will, but we're also told that Jesus is the Lord, Yahweh. And so how, how do we reconcile those two? It is that the second person of the Trinity is, is freely taking on that role of submitting to the Father's will. That's the economic trinity. But before creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, they're co-equal and co-eternal. Okay? And so that's that's kind of a, two different ways of, of viewing the Trinity. All right. Now, into the hypostatic union. A hypostatic, this, this comes from the Greek word that's often translated person. And so the hypostatic union is the doctrine which states that Jesus is one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. So the Trinity is that there is only one being or nature of God, and that God exists co-eternally and co-equal in three persons, okay? And then the hypostatic union is ta- is talking about, referring to the Son, okay, the, the second person of the Trinity. 
Jesus is one person with two natures, a divine nature, which is the same one that he shares with Father and Son. So, so there's that's one divine nature. There's only one of those. There's only one God. But Jesus takes on flesh. He takes on a human nature. And so the hypostatic union is the doctrine that states that there is the one person, the second person of the Trinity, has two natures now. The the God nature, the divine nature that Jesus has always had from eternity past, and then at a specific point in time when Jesus was born, he took on flesh. That's the incarnation. That's when, you know, Jesus is baby Jesus is born in the manger. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, eternal, okay, took on flesh. So now the one person of Jesus has two natures, the divine nature and then the human nature. John Frame, in his book called Salvation Belongs to the Lord, this is like an introduction to systematic theology, he says this about the hypostatic union, quote, Now certainly there are some actions of Jesus that reflect more his divine nature, like doing miracles, and others that reflect more his human nature, like hungering and thirsting. But remember that his actions are not actions of a nature, but of a person. Natures don't do anything. Persons do. When Jesus works a miracle, it is his person who works the miracle. When he suffers, it is his person who suffers. That person is the second person of the Trinity who has taken on a human nature. So in a real sense, it is God, a divine and human person, who hungers and thirst, who suffers and dies for us. So this is the hypostatic union, okay? Now, these two natures, this divine nature and human nature, what's really important is that we understand that they do not mix to form some sort of half-God, half-man. Okay, it's not like mixing two paints together to make a, a third, you know, different color. They are not mixing. So the, so the two natures, the divine nature and the human nature, are not mixing together, and, and at the same time, they're not completely separated apart from each other. They are joined. So think of like two bubbles joined together. They, they are distinct bubbles, but they're joined. They're not completely separate, and they're not forming into just one bubble. They're, they're, they're joined together, but still distinct. And so a, a, a good illustration for this is if you hold your hands as if you're praying, just hold your hands right in front of you, that's you know a way to represent the hypostatic union. If you kind of uh, cross your fingers and, and intermix your fingers in together, that's not what we're talking about with the divine and human nature being mixed together. And at the same time, we're not going to separate our hands all the way apart from each other. We just have them right there together touching, but they're still distinct, okay? And so that's that's the hypostatic union, the divine nature of, the, of Jesus and the human nature uh, joined in that way, okay? Now, it is, it is this may seem uh, ridiculous to go into all this detail, but this is actually very, very, very important um, at, when it, in regards to our salvation. And so it is so important that Jesus is truly God and truly man, okay? We can't, we can't have this, this mixed half-God, half-man uh, creature that is, is 
dying for our sins, okay? So this the hypostatic union is extremely important. Uh, question 38 and 39 of the Westminster Catechism address this issue, and, and I think this is, I don't even know in my, this may be the larger uh, catechism, but question 38 and 39. It, question 38 says this, why was it requisite, or another way to think of that word is necessary. Why was it necessary that the mediator should be God, okay? Why is it necessary that Jesus should be truly God? Okay, the, the catechism answer is this. It was requisite that the mediator should be God, that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death. So on the cross, it, it's, it's requisite that Jesus is God, truly God, because he's bearing the infinite wrath of God. A, a mere creature would just be completely annihilated. But Truly, God can bear the infinite wrath of God. Okay, continuing with the Westminster answer to give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience, and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a peculiar people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation. So these are the reasons that it is so necessary that that Jesus, our mediator, should fully and truly be God. Now, the very next question, question 39, why was it requisite, why was it necessary that the mediator should be man? Okay, here's the answer. It was requisite that the mediator should be man, that he might advance our nature, perform obedience to the law, suffer and make intercession for us in our nature have a fellow feeling of our infirmities, that we might receive the adoption of sons and have comfort and access with boldness unto the throne of grace. Okay, so the hypostatic union is so important because Jesus must truly be man in order to be a proper propitiation for our sin. In in order to be our great high priest, in order to represent us, he must be us. He must be one of us. He's he's a man. He's truly man. But Jesus must be truly God in order to bear the infinite wrath of God. Okay? This is why Jesus is the only way. In John 14, 6, I opened the episode with this. I am the Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Doctrine matters because only in the hypostatic union, Jesus being truly God and truly man, he is the only one who can can die for our sins. And so that, that is why Jesus is the only way. He is the only Savior, okay? So that's a, a, a little that's the hypostatic union in <laughs> in a very introductory form, um, and also the importance of why we must hold to this doctrine. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there. In in life group class on Sunday morning, I had I had recorded all of this information earlier. I think I guess Saturday morning, but um, we didn't get quite as far. We got through the hypostatic union and just barely started discussing some of the I'll say in air quotes difficult uh, verses to interpret when we when we think about the Trinity and the hypostatic union. How do we properly interpret these? You'll you'll understand what I'm talking about next week. So uh, so I'm going to stop right there. 
and we'll pick up next week with going through some of these these difficult verses. So an example would be that when Jesus says that he doesn't know um, when he's going to return, that only the Father knows. That's Matthew 24, 36. Um, so verses like that, like, well, if the Son is fully God, truly God, then how does he not know? So we'll discuss those things next week. Okay, as as a closing verse here for the hypostatic union, that you've heard these verses a million times before from this podcast, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And of course, the Word here is talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then if you skip down to verse 14, John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 